You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello music lovers and welcome back to Modern Musicology. I'm Anthony and this evening I have with my with me my friend Rob. Hey Anthony, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you, Rob? Well, this is like uh the adults have left. <laughs> yeah. So the children the children get to run around the house. Exactly. And I feel like you and I have been threatening to do this for a long time and we've been left in charge for a week. So Yes. Dear listeners, we are bringing you the Anthony and Rob Sparks Show. We're going to play tonight. We're going to sing tonight. We're going to look great tonight. It's a spark show, a spark show, a spark show tonight. It's a spark show, 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 a spark show tonight. At long last. First annual. First annual spark show. So Sparks are a band that we both dearly love. They have 26 studio albums, a couple of soundtracks. Uh, a documentary that was made about them a couple of years ago by Edgar Wright. They have had quite the career and they have influenced almost everyone. And what we are planning on doing this episode is what will mostly be a relatively unstructured conversation about Sparks for as long as we feel like going for. And then we'll wrap it up with some recommendations for how you as a listener might want to Start experimenting with Sparks if you're not so familiar with them. So to kick us off, Rob, why don't you tell us a bit about how you first got into Sparks? So like many people of my generation, I discovered Sparks through um, cool places, the song with Jane Wheedland. And in the 80s, that record sounded a lot like other records that were out. It has very, it's very distinctive in how it sounds. Um it's very much of that time. And I'm, I'm a Go-Go's fan too. So it was like, oh, okay. And then I realized when I'm watching, like, these guys look really weird and cool. So I kind of like, I dug that song. I heard a couple of things. It had been a while, you know, I kind of put it away. Graduated through, for, you know, through college or through high school. And then in college, I kind of rediscovered them a little bit, mainly because uh, I was working at a radio station and they had a couple um, singles around and some of the other DJs and stuff were playing them. And I started listening again and it just sort of really gained momentum for me, you know, in, in probably the, the late eighties, early nineties, you know, when I lived in, uh, New York, I, kids ask your parents, I had a portable CD player and I was ride the subway and I needed something to keep me sort of, that was really kind of upbeat, wasn't political. And, a friend of mine said, you should just listen to Sparks. So, you know, I went down um, and, and went to a UCD store and I bought like nine CDs for like 20 bucks, right? And I just started going through them and they were all random. And I just started listening to them 
taking the subway an hour and a half every day to and from work, right? And that kind of was like, okay, this establishes Sparks as one, a musical group that I like, and I'm not really sure where they're going. And then it also sort of made them kind of an emotional crutch, if that makes sense. One of the great things about my relationship with Sparks is that they're very much kind of a, a band I can always go to and listen to. You don't have to be in a particular mood, right? Um, so they kind of were my go-to. And then, you know, from that point on, I got hooked. And their catalog is so extensive that you could just kind of explore. There are still Sparks albums I don't think I've heard all the way through. Or if I have, I haven't done it in a while. So they've got a catalog where you're constantly discovering new things. And also because they've dipped their toes in so many different genres, I'm learning about different styles of music or thinking about them in different contexts all the time, if that makes any sense. That does make sense. It sounds like you had a, a bit more of a traditional way of getting into them than I did, because I think I first became aware of Sparks probably in around 2003, 2004. I had gone through a a phase in my mid-teens of being really into the darkness when they first came around. And Justin went solo uh, with um, a project called British Whale. And the first thing they that British Whale did was cover This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us. And I heard it and thought, wow, this is incredible. And eventually I found out that he had covered this band called Sparks. And I was like, okay, interesting, cool. And thought nothing more of it. And then 10 years later, about 2015, I had gone through a divorce and was in that process of kind of rediscovering myself and listening to lots of different yeah. music that, you know, my ex didn't like and wouldn't have in the house and part of that was glam rock and i'd just come off of a a huge binge of the tv show life on mars and put together a playlist of all the songs that were in that show one of which was this town ain't big enough for the both of us and listening to it and getting myself hooked back on it and thinking wow this is really incredible this is really different and this is really weird and I love it. So I kind of thought, what, what are they doing these days? And I looked them up and they had just put out the FFS album. And I kind of thought, well, I love Franz Ferdinand. Let me take a listen to this. And that album was just incredible. That album blew my mind. It was probably my album of the year that year. Mm -hmm. And that kind of led me to diving a little bit into other areas. Hippopotamus came out a couple of years later yeah. and I really liked um, what the hell is it this time from that album um, as well as Edith PF. But it wasn't really until the Sparks documentary that I discovered a lot of their back catalog and mm. really felt started to fall in love with them at that point. And then from there, they came. They swung through Atlanta. I was still hesitant about going to shows coming out of the pandemic, and you, Rob, convinced me to go. Oh wow! I mean, I, I remember we were chatting before or possibly after we recorded, and you said to me, I, "I said I was thinking about it. I was uncertain." And you said, "You must go. These guys are in their seventies. You never know which tour will be their last." And had, I, had, I, had I seen them at that point? That's what I don't remember. You had not. Okay. Um, you know, what's interesting, too, to your story about that is that I had kind of came into them through the old catalog, 
And I had not really listened to a lot of the stuff after 2000. So, I mean, the FFS record came out. Mm-hmm. That made me go back to Balls and some of the other stuff, right? Uh, a lot of the stuff that's been reissued and um, made me kind of look at that stuff. Because I kind of got, I, without sounding like a like a, uh, a moron, there's so much music out now that I kind of forgot that they were still making records. Yeah. And the FFS came out and I'm like, oh, wait, they've got these records. And that for me kind of kickstarted the discovering the records from the early, you know, from the 2000s and stuff, the stuff that's getting um, released now. So that's kind of an interesting spin off of what you said, you know, as I kind of got into it late. I mean, I think music that you can dance to, I, I remember listening to, and um, I think I heard the live album um in 2020 but like little beethoven i'd forgotten about and you know some of the steady drip 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 some of that stuff i completely missed and then the tour made me go back or the movie yeah. made me go back and, and the, the the combination of the movie and the the tour made me go back and sort of listen to the newer stuff yeah it, it's interesting when you talk about it like that rob because i think they have reinvented themselves so many times i mean you can almost divide their back catalog up into certain eras where they they're almost like a you know a career of an entire career of a band in like six albums and then they go off and they do something completely different going from introducing sparks to number one in heaven for example huge shift in sound and yet it's still undeniably sparks and that's the same when you get Lil beethoven coming after balls or, you know, when you get FFS coming after the seduction of Mark Bergman, you know, they, they, they are constantly reinventing themselves. And that's part of what makes them so interesting. And I had not realized this, um, you know, until we started you know, kind of doing the podcast. I remember I heard a lot of stuff that my brother would bring home, you know, in, in sort of the late 70s, early 80s. And I completely forgot that I had heard, you know, number one song in heaven kind of by osmosis. Like my brother brought home a lot of Devo outside of his like soul records, a lot of Devo B-52s and and sparks. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I kind of remember hearing number one song in heaven and I'm like, what is this? And it just kind of got put away. It's kind of like, it's kind of like this forgotten memory thing that comes back. It kind of reminded me, you know, just thinking of that a couple minutes ago that like, some bands that you like, you always have a particular memory of a certain place of where you are in your life when you hear them, right? Mm-hmm. And Sparks is kind of that bad for me. I moved back from Brooklyn after a really terrible breakup, and I just started listening to Sparks to kind of make me feel better. And then, you know, coming out of, during the pandemic, I listened to them a little bit. Coming out of the pandemic, with when I heard, you know, when, between the movie and the tour, I was like listening to them all the time. Same. Yeah. So it's funny that you and I both kind of started getting the bug for Sparks after breakups as well. Yeah. Um, speaking of, you know, some of the stuff as it came out, my mother, she was born in 1958. So she would have been 15 or 16 when This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us happened. Yeah. And she remembers that coming out. I mentioned to her last year when I went to see Sparks that I'd gone to see them. And she went, oh, yeah, I, I think I remember their big hit from 74. And then I asked her if she remembered number one in heaven, because, of course, that was their second breakthrough, effectively. And she didn't until I played it for her. 
And then she says, oh, this actually sounds really familiar. I think I remember this because 79, she would have been, you know, 21, uh, 2021. Yeah. So, and she was fairly hip, I would like to think, at that age. So at yeah. uni, she would have been listening to that kind of thing. And I think, I think too, the interesting thing about this is that Sparks are very much an American band that feel like an English band, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, at least as an American. And that may be because they just got more attention in radio play in Europe because they're also sort of kind of almost more German than they are American too, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it, I think in a way it took them a long time to break America. I think they broke Europe and Japan and some other places in the world first. And then they kind of got big over here sort of underground, Right. They were kind of like yeah. an underground sort of culty kind of a thing, you know, like, oh, you listen to the B-52s or you listen to Devo or Talking Heads, kind of like that. And I think they also kind of got got lost by not being from that cool New York art scene. I think they kind of got lost in some of that. You know, like, I just can't imagine Andy Warhol, for example, not liking Sparks. You know, I have no idea if he did or not. <laughs> But, you know, you think about stuff like that. And I'm like, there's certain people that you can totally imagine, you know, this makes perfect sense for this person or this person. But I I, I still wonder why they weren't bigger in America. Yeah, and it it feels like Cool Places was really the biggest they ever got. I think that hit number 49 on the Hot 100. Yeah. Um, You know, I predict, I think, hit 60. But they wouldn't never as popular here as they were in Europe. Well, I remember running to the cassette that I had in my stereo um, on like play record was ready and pause. I just had to click the pause thing on the cassette. Kids ask your parents. Um, Cause I was listening to Casey Kasem and I was waiting for cool places to come on. Cause it charted the week before it was on MTV and I couldn't get the seven inch single at the time. And I wanted to have it to play over. So I recorded it off of American Top 40. So for me, kind of listening to that single kind of was an event. Once it hit MTV, it was everywhere. And then it kind of faded away after MTV, right? And now, you know, there's all these like 80s compilations and all those 80s retro stuff. And it still kind of doesn't get really thrown in there either. Um, It's kind of weird how forgotten that track is, even though it, it really broke them. And it's a great track. Yeah. But I do think, you know, listening to their glam stuff, their glam stuff is fantastic. Um, It's almost glam disco before there was glam disco, right? Right. There was this thing in the early 2000s called Electro Clash that uh, was kind of a thing, right? And Sparks was doing that kind of earlier. You know, it's sort of the, the thumpiness of electronic music with glam, and I think that they were they were on the forefront of that. And I think that they also were ahead of the time, not just with cool places, but other stuff, with sort of crafting the synthesizer as not a supplemental instrument, but as a forefront instrument. Right. Just going back to what you're saying about that, I think a song like um, Amateur Hour really has that kind of oh, thing yeah. we're talking about, you know? Yeah. And you know the thing about the thing about Sparks too. One of the things that I remember, um, kind of revisiting them after the movie, is, damn, all those melodies are ear are earworms. 
Oh, yeah. Anytime I see anyone mowing a lawn now, lawnmower is in my head for a while. <laughs> I know you love that song. Um, and it's mainly just because when I was growing up, the guy next to us collected lawnmowers like some people collect, you know, coins or stamps, right? And so when I hear that song, it, quarter, it, it sort of harkens back, again, a memory. But it sort of reminded me of like the person in that song. I know that guy, right? <laughs> um, yeah, you know. And it also too sort of capsulate uh, they encapsulate this sort of like almost capitalistic essence of you know America of the time that they were making records. Like you know, people are really into materialism, and people are really into like you know throwaway fun and being very disposable. But for stuff that sounds really like disposable pop. It's got a lot of layer and depth to it, which I really like too. It's interesting, you know, thinking back to the documentary and just touching back on them never really breaking America. I think it goes back to something Flea said, right? He says people don't get them and don't take them seriously because they're fucking funny. Yeah. They're not a parody band, but they're a band with an incredible sense of humor. And, and their humor in some ways is actually very British in itself. Yeah which doesn't always translate well in America to non-Anglophiles. They are also a band. They're one of the few bands I can say this about. Their humor is also very French <laughs> um, at yeah. the same time. It's also very German. Yeah. And they also have this whole um, Japanese stoicism about them too. It's it's very weird where all this stuff comes comes from. Um, it's it's almost like they've got all of these facets from other cultures, except mm -hmm. for the one they actually grew up in. And it's it's just who they are. I think it's I think it's the things that they love, right? I think yeah. it's the fact that they love anime. I think it's the fact that they spent so much time in England. I think that they probably listened to a ton of French pop re records as well as sort of like a lot of Prague and a lot of German craftworky kind of stuff and noi. Yeah. So I think a lot of it's just their influences seeping in too. Which is interesting because, uh, you know, people say they did a, an electro pop album before anyone else. People who say that are clearly forgetting to your point about the crowd rock scene with Kraftwerk, but they were the first really Anglo American band to do an electro pop album mm -hmm. fundamentally. But you know, that's really where, to your point, you start seeing that kind of influence bleeding over. Yeah. And, and no one else is yet doing that in the Anglophone world. And that two-man band of, like, two people with synthesizers, think they started that, folks. Yeah. You know? Without Sparks, there would be no Pet Shop Boys. There would be no Erasure. There would be no Soft Cell. Yeah, no Blamange, you know. Um, yeah. I don't even think there'd be a Human League, even though there's more than two, you know. Right. Um and it's interesting, as someone who is a huge fan of, you know, the Pet Shop Boys, the more I explore Sparks, the more I hear how that seeps into their music, even mm -hmm. though they've never acknowledged it. There's a really funny bit about that in the documentary. Um, but, like, I, I really hear it in Spark, uh, Sparks when I listen to Soft Cell, and I really hear it in, you know, some of the stuff like Blamange and some of that other stuff, too. Um and I think I hear it, you know, in other things too. I think I hear it a little bit in Altered Images and a few other, you know, bands like that. But yeah. you you hear the sound, right? Um, and I think that's important. 
And it's it's funny you mention Soft Cell because I think of a song like Sex Dwarf um, from Soft Cell's catalogue. And that's almost like if you applied Sparks' sense of humour to something very gay and something very sleazy. Yeah. Right. But it's still got that humour that comes from Sparks and that kind of beat that comes from that period of Sparks as well. Mm-hmm. But I also think, too, the big thing is this idea of lyrics and turning a phrase, because the thing I love the most about Sparks outside of the music is just the sheer amount of lyrics that they fit into a song and okay. how they rhyme them, you know, um, and how it works. Like, Angst in My Pants, first of all, the title's magnificently glorious. And then you listen to the um, the, the the lyrics and they talk about like Dramamine and, you know, it's just like yeah. they, they put stuff in their songs that is just amazing. I love that too. And I think that's all stuff that appeals more to a non-American audience because I think of, in many ways a, a European or English audience sort of picks up that kind of stuff a little more. Whereas we're, we're very sort of catchy, like, give me a hook. It's funny you should mention the lyrics because probably a year ago, uh, before he passed away, I sent Dick around to my friend Radu. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Radu was a huge metalhead. He didn't listen to a lot of this kind of stuff. And I was fully expecting the standard response I got from him when I sent him this kind of stuff, which was, thanks, I hate it. But it kind of goes silence for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I get the three dots and it stops and it starts again and, and eventually goes, that was the best thing I have heard in a long time. Yeah. The lyrics were amazing. The transitions in the way the song works were amazing. You know, there have been very few times where I've gone to see a band or an artist live where the people there are so cross-representative of mm. different things, right? Like when I saw Sparks, you know, there were metal, obviously people that were into metal. There was yeah. obviously people that are like, you know, synth pop kids. There were obviously, you know, the cool indie guys. There's the young hipsters that kind of discovered them now. There were it's gay, it was black, it was Hispanic. It was, yeah. I mean, I so I really think that even, and maybe it's the longevity and the fact that they didn't really start out the way they sound now. But I think that because there's something for everyone in their music, it has given them a dynamic that makes them appealing to lots of different people. I know people like, this is a great point you brought up that are bull in the wool metal guys that love sparks. Mm -hmm. They don't like any of the other two people synthesizer bands, but man, they love them some sparks, you know? Um, Hi, that's, that's me. Yeah. You know, you you know, and it's funny talking about that Rob, because I look around at the shows I go to and, you know, I go to a lot of prog shows. I go to a lot of kind of, occult rock and metal shows and my partner always jokes that it i'm i'm the youngest one there and everyone else are kind of middle-aged men and women zero anyone who's not white very little and sparks was just such a different crowd because it was so diverse yeah and that made me so happy um in the event that they should ever actually see or listen to this you know, the big takeaway from, from Sparks with me is that coming out of the pandemic, they're the first show I saw, right? Yeah. Um, and the combination of just the sheer amount of euphoria I felt during and after that 
has never been replicated. And I, I don't think it's because it's the first show I came out of the pandemic and it's coming back to normal. I don't think that's it. Right. There's just something fundamentally euphoric and beautiful about what they do that, that is like moves people in a, in a way that I just can't explain. They are one of a handful of bands that the minute my, that we left the, uh, the venue in Chicago, we were like, okay, how can we see them again? And I'm seeing them, you know, in July and I'm already like, I'm going to want to see them again. How do I make this work? Cause I didn't think I'd see them after seeing them last year. I didn't think I'd ever see them again. And I'm just like, you know, it is, I, I can't explain it. It is just this thing that nags at you. You're like, that was great. Let's do that again. It's almost like when you ride a roller coaster um, and you get off of it and you're like, okay, that was such a cool thrill ride. I'm on it again. I can't explain it, man. There's just something about them that you're just like, I got to see them again. Yeah. And I mean, you and I have talked about this on the show before. That felt like such a special tour. Something about that experience was almost spiritual. I think part of it was the amount of respect for the band from the audience, right? Yeah. The request from the band came in, please everyone wear masks. And everyone wore masks. Even here in the South, where people were like, I ain't wearing no mask. People wore masks. See, in Chicago, nobody did that. They didn't do that. Oh, really? It was just, yeah, it was just come and play, right? Interesting. Yeah. But I, it felt like there was a huge amount of respect for the band. It felt like everyone kind of felt like they were in the presence of two absolute legends, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the aura from that was incredible. And on top of that, you had this fantastic musicianship from Run and Russell, but also from their backing band as well playing these magnificent songs it was just it was special and i've only ever felt that at one other show which interestingly enough was also last year and that was when i went to see porcupine tree yeah but i think for me that's because that was a show i never thought i would get to see whereas sparks going in i wasn't a sparks mega fan you know i liked them yeah i've in, i enjoyed what i'd heard but i didn't really know what i was going into i didn't have any expectations around it and i came out of that show with my mind absolutely blown yeah exactly and you know the other thing that i loved about that tour was their social media like anytime they went to a city they put a picture of them in that city like in chicago they were sitting in a diner and russell's reading the chicago tribune right they're in paris they're at gardenur and they're playing on a piano in the subway station right and different cities, there's a picture of them doing something related to the city where they're at. And yeah. I just thought that was really cool. Like they're, And they always took a picture at the end of the show of them on stage with the audience behind them. Yeah, I found myself in the Atlanta one when I zoomed in, me and my mate Adam. Um, I just thought that was really cool. That's a really interesting way to, to rope in your audience. We're like... You know, I'm not going to go see them at the Hollywood Bowl, but I'm going to check out and see what the pictures look like from that show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you were actually following them on tour without physically following them on tour. And not a lot of bands are doing that. So their social media game is really great. Yeah, I, they must have a great social media manager because I can't believe they're doing that themselves. I also think, too, that some of it is um, the art school background. Um, yeah. You know, I think that they, 
this is a whole separate aspect of them too, is that they've never not been visually interesting. Um, even the albums that are not necessarily like, oh, this is a great album. The covers look amazing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Their visual presentation is fantastic. And even now with um, the girls crying in her latte, the video presentation for that is great, right? They are, I mean, obviously they got Kate Blanchett, which is in and of itself a thing, but they are vo- both sort of this very stoic and in black. And then she's wearing yellow, all yeah. yellow, which is what Russell wore on the last tour was all yellow. Um, so it's very interesting how they're, they've, they're, they've got a color palette. They're a band with a color palette, right? Um, which I find is incredibly interesting and the presentation's interesting. And as someone that likes music, but also is fascinated by the visual aspects of music and someone who grew up on video, I find this is really fascinating. And the fact that in the year 2023, they're putting this much effort into making a video is also Mm -hmm. pretty cool. What's interesting about that, and for anyone listening who's not aware, they are coming out with a new album, The Girl Is Crying In Her Latte, in about a month's time. The first two singles, the title track and Veronica Lake, are out. But I reposted a clip of the video to The Girl Is Crying In Her Latte to my Instagram. And I had friends of mine respond saying, OMG, I love Kate Blanchett. I've never heard of these guys before, but this is really good. What should I listen to next? And so that strategy of having a big name doing some pretty goofy dancing while they're sitting there in the background is having the desired impact. It's reeling people in who might not have previously listened to them. And yeah, I think too, the fact that they have a lot of clout as we saw in that documentary, I mean, Kate Blanchett sort of said, oh, I you know, made it a point to come up and tell them how much she loved them. And yeah. then she's in the video, right? Having Neil Gaiman say, hey, I love this band. All the people that love Neil Gaiman are going to run and listen yeah. to Sparks now, right? But then, you, you know, as, an, as a flip side of that, you've got Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers talking about how much he loves that band, right? And that's they have so many different people from distinctive not just bands, but ways of creating things, right? That love them, that it sort of draws this melange of, of, of fans that are just from all over the place, which is terrific. And, and you look at that lineup and it's, it's a really diverse crowd who were talking about them. You know, it's everyone to your point, like Neil Gaiman, Flea, you've got Weird Al in there, you've got Bernard Butler from Suede, Tony Visconti, the legendary producer, Comedians, Jason Schwartzman, Mike Myers, Fred Armisen. You've got Amy Sherman Palladino, who's behind Gilmore Girls and um, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Patton Oswalt. I mean, it's just such an incredible cast of people talking about this band. And you start to realize that they have influenced basically everyone. Yeah. And, you know, I love the quote they did with the movies like, they're the band that influenced the band you probably love or something, something yeah. along those lines. I love Your favorite that. band's favorite band. That was the tagline on the documentary. Yeah. You you can listen to records that they made in, you know, 74, 75 and 76 and production wise, they don't sound dated. Mm-mm. I mean, they might sound of the time musically or stylistically, but the production level is still really astounding. So 
they have never sort of not just phoned it in. I don't think, right. Even, even the records I don't like, um, or don't love. I mean, there's, there's albums they have where I like more of the songs than a flu, a, a fluid album. Right. Right. But even on those records, the production's great and the quality of what they're doing is obviously something of merit and they're making an effort. They don't just phone it in, which I think is great. And at this point in their career, they easily could. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Rob. We'll, we'll get on to specific tracks towards the end of the show. In but, seven hours. Yeah. <laughs> Hypothetical question for you. You can only save three Sparks albums. Which ones do you pick? Uh, Angst in My Pants, probably Kimono in My House, and maybe Number One in Heaven. Interesting. We only have one one mutual choice. I will that. I will instantly, the minute you say one that's not on my list, uh, go, oh, yeah. But those are ones that I know resonated with me at periods of my life that mattered. So that's why. So I would go for number one in heaven, because mm. obviously to me, that is nearly a perfect album. There's not yeah. a single track that I skip when I listen to that. And then you look at the marketing as well around that and uh the the radio spots that they did with oh yeah was it, was it peter cook i think it is peter cook yeah yeah those are hilarious and i think that marriage of sparks and giorgio moroda is just magnificent yeah. then because it was one that really resonated with me at the time ffs that. Yeah, I was I was thinking about putting that on the list, but I'm like, well, is that a pure Sparks album? So yeah, but yes. Yeah, to to me that's just special. To me, it sounds more Sparks than it sounds Franz Ferdinand. Yes, um, it sounds like Sparks album with Franz Ferdinand as the backing band. Yeah, and then last but not least, I would pick Little Beethoven, which I love. Yeah, yeah. To me, that's just that something like that that is so sonically different to anything even today came out in 2002 is just bonkers you know talk about ahead of their time and in 2002 everything sounded so different than little beethoven which is probably the reason why it's lost that's what i mean i mean you got the strokes you've got you know all those new york bands and yeah, stuff the, the, the music industry was in the middle of that post-punk revival you know and like when you listen to everything um you know, Suburban Homeboy is very much a mock of the times. <laughs> like, that was one of my favorite live songs in that last set was Suburban Homeboy. I'm like, I mean, if that doesn't make you feel better, I can't help you. Yeah, I've uh, I've trained my partner to say yo-yo. So, you know, so she yo-yos me and I yo-yo her back because I'm a Suburban Homeboy. And and, yeah. and then melodically, you know, it's got that sort of like almost baroquish kind of classical thing going on behind it that's really cool yeah right there's something um, very musical about that song as well yeah. and you know on top of this there is very much an aesthetic of sort of an attention to like classical western music that's kind mm -hmm. of in there in the mix somewhere too yeah it's hard to pick you know it's hard to pick an album that you um love by them and I hate I hate the question of pick your three favorite tracks or your three, but those are the, I I went with those one they're probably if you're jumping in an easy place to start, um, and it also represents sort of different periods of the band like 
I've rediscovered Terminal Jive and I've learned to like that a little more than I did when it originally came out. And Drip, 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 I, I've yep. learned to like a little more too. Um, with Terminal Jive, I mean, that starts with When I'm With You and that bass line on that track is just insane. That yeah. is so catchy. And then it comes in with that little synth hook. Do, 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 do. And... Yeah. You know, I, I was listening to Sparks a lot when I was in London last year, and that track makes me think of certain certain times during that trip because I was on the tube listening and, and it came on my playlist. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's almost like association. I I actually have a an England Sparks memory too. Like the first time I was in England, I went to the Camden Underworld. Mm-hmm. And I met, I ended up meeting a very great friend of mine who I'm still friends with today at the bar. And, um, like I, 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 I gave up my seat so she could sit. And, um, I remember there's certain songs I remember hearing that night. Like I remember hearing fat boy slim and I remember hearing a couple other things, but then I remember like I was in the middle of conversation and I'm like, and I, and I very seldom shush someone, but I just sort of did this thing and I was listening. It's like, Oh my God, they're playing the number one song in heaven. Right. And I'm just like, it's in a room and it's loud. And like until then, I'd always listened, you know, through headphones or in my own spaces. But in a big, loud room, I'm like, of course, this fucking works. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I DJed at a couple parties and club things in New York in, in the late 80s and 90s. And I'm like, I never fucking thought of playing Sparks. What the fuck is wrong with me? Right. Um, it's like, it's this total, like this totally aha moment. Right. And I, I ended up, so I heard that. And then I was in, I went to a, a play in Earl's court two nights later and somebody's driving by. And again, I'm hearing sparks, like just somebody playing something from, uh, indiscreet. I think, Oh God, what was it? Um, either, I think it was happy hunting around. And I'm just like, so it was like, okay, this is, this is prolific, you know? And I hadn't thought about that till you brought it up. Right. Um, and again, it harkens back to hearing them. And then I was in, um, a bar in Budapest and I heard cool places like in, in this like really beat up old jukebox. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And that's kind of when I started to realize that these guys are more than, an indie band that I love that because the movie wasn't out then. And I, yeah. I, I kind of began to realize there's other people that are into this. And that was kind of reaffirming for me. And it does come back to just their popularity in Europe versus here. And what's interesting is their resurgence in Europe kind of began a little bit before the movie. Yeah. Because, and I, I, I'm not sure if it was the FFS collaboration that did it, but suddenly, you know, Exotic Creatures of the Deep, which was their last proper studio album before FFS, reached 54 on the UK albums charts. Mm-hmm. FFS hit 17. And I think that's, you know, the power of partnering with Franz Ferdinand. And then Hippopotamus hits number seven, as does a steady drip, drip, drip. Yeah. Well, I also think, too, that, you know, um, they had the advantage to um, in England that they had John Peel behind them. Um, 
which is, you know, I know it sounds crazy, but never underestimate the power of having John Peel behind you. But there are enough DJs there that played them that I think that they're never out of the consciousness of but, British radio. But my point is that they suddenly had an uptick, even in Britain. Oh, yeah. And I think partnering with Franz Ferdinand was the catalyst for that. Yeah, I think it was. And I think it got them out in the music press, too. You and it got, them, it got them the attention of a new generation. Because you, you think, you know, Franz Ferdinand really hit big around, what, 2003, 2004. Yeah. That was my generation. I was 16 when Franz Ferdinand broke. Jesus. Okay. Right? Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Sorry, Rob. I know I'm, I'm making you feel old. No, it's totally fine. And so, you know, we talk about how I got into Sparks. And while I was aware of them and I'd heard, there, you know, this town ain't big enough. FFS was the first time I really sat down and listened to an album from start to end, and mm-hmm. then that pulled me into Hippopotamus and a steady drip, drip, drip. And you know, then the movie came along, and that's when I discovered the back catalog. I had Franz Ferdinand on my show, and we did something different with them. Um, we didn't have Alex, but what we what we did is like, hey. You guys have been on tour. You probably just don't want to do a session. Do you just want to come in and play records you like? Right. For two mm-hmm. hours. And it started this whole, and that, the, this is after, this is after the Sparks record came out. And um, it was probably like right after uh, Always Ascending was a single, kind of like, so it's fairly recent. And the just glow in their face when I, when I would mention Sparks, right? It's like, okay. And I remember talking about just how much a, a perfect pop record Johnny Delusional is. Oh, God, yeah. It is. It does everything a great pop record does. And it's probably one of the last few records that I was left wanting absolutely more. I'm like, no, this song cannot end now, right? Uh, this this song is too short. Stop this now, right? Um, it's perfect. Um, and I like call and I, I like, you know, call me too, but like, man, that is just that Johnny delusional just hits on every single cylinder. Um, to me, that's, that's another album where there's not a single bad track, but no, Johnny delusional, not. what an opener. And it's one of my big regrets that I didn't fly to New York to see them on that tour, too. which I yeah. thought about doing, but you mentioned always ascending and What's interesting about that track, listen to Always Ascending and then Sparks' tryouts for the human race back to yes. back. You can you can see uh, Franz Ferdinand got a few ideas from the Sparks boys while they were on tour. Well, I think, you know, I think that that whole thing was a lot of osmosis back and forth, right? Um, and that was such a love fest. You could hear the, that that was a love fest making the record, you know? Um you could also hear it with the records with Marauder. Yeah. That, that was clearly two artists that were in love with what the other was doing. I was really hoping for an FFS too, but it seems like we're not going to get that ever. No, but, um, you know, the fact that they are on a major label now, they just signed to Island, yeah. um, and they're not having to sort of do it their own because they've had – this issue for a while, they were on BMG and they really had to work to sort of get their the last batch of records out, right? It's been an effort for them. 
to get their albums out in the States and kind of get some attention to it. And I think the FFS really got them back into the consciousness of people enough to where people wanted to listen to them. And I think that helped spur the reissues that we got, which are fantastic. And I think you mentioned them being on Island and the girl is crying in her latte comes out, as I mentioned, in about a month. I think there's a good chance that album is going to blow up. I want it to blow up. I want them to get a Grammy. Um, And I think that the fact that it's just like you listen to Girls Crying in Her Latte, it doesn't really sound like a lot of other Sparks records that they've done. Mm -mm. It almost has this sort of like weird kind of techno thing going on that's kind of odd. Yeah, the only time they've really played with that before was on Balls. Yeah. You know, that's a band that's listened to their catalog and and mined some of those ideas into their new stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And as someone who loves, this is a whole other thing that I love about them, right? As someone who's really into film, like when they talk about Ingemar Bergman, I'm like, oh my God, this is great, right? And now they have a song called Veronica Lake, which is not necessarily about Veronica Lake. It's more like, you know, people working on in the 40s that love the Veronica Lake hair, um, hair and all that stuff. The fact that they wear the things that they love on their sleeves in their music just makes me like overjoyed, right? As someone who is, I'm interested in anime. I'm not like passionate about it, nor do I know a lot about it as much as I used to. But the fact that these guys like it, I think is cool. And the Mm -hmm. fact that they like, you know, old films and obviously art, you know, um, I love that. You know, yeah. and that's, you know, when you listen to OMD, right, some of the early OMD records, it's very obvious that these guys are, at least Andy McCluskey, are really into modernism and this concept of like early 20th century art, right? That's something they kind of, I think, get from Sparks in that they bring their passion for art or things that they're interested in into their music, um, and I think that's something Sparks kind of did too. I don't know whether that was intentional or it was just that, you know, at some point they said, screw it, we're going to write about what we want to write about. Yeah. So, And I, I think that is partly what leads to them just being so different. I think it's partly what leads to them being kind of ahead of the curve a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, we, we already talked about how different Lil Beethoven was. We talked about how different at the time number one in heaven was. But you see them doing that time and time again. And I think it's those outside influences that really, really drives that. And like you mentioned Dick Around, I'm like, that's such a perfectly great record, right? And you hear influences of other things in that, but it's so uniquely them, too, that it's amazing. And that's another album, Hello Young Lovers. Starts with Dick Around, goes straight into Perfume, which is amazing and featured on Gilmore Girls. And I think Perfume's sort of a great underrated track from them. Yeah. As I, I wish I could come up with a track like Perfume. Yeah. You know, I think about like the, the, the high school band scene I was in in like 2003, 2004. And I think that Perfume would have absolutely blown everyone's minds if you know one of those bands had come up with this and not sparks 
And I, I think, too, the other thing that I love about Sparks is that coming out of the pandemic and seeing them live, yeah, anybody I probably saw, because I also saw Nick Cave the next night, right? But it, And I loved it. I just didn't feel the, like, it was a, it was a different, kind of the Valium to the Sparks. But I think they're the only band I could have came out of the pandemic and felt that way about. But they are also one of the few bands I've seen that I never had a complaint or bitched about the set list. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. All right, that seems like the perfect time to segue. We are going to take a quick break and we will be back after the jump with, instead of picks of the week, some recommendations on where you, dear listener, can get a starting point on the amazing band that is Sparks. So back in a second. So Brittany, Martha... <laughs> Tell me about your podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like we're in sync, but also kind of a disaster. We are always a disaster. So our podcast is fun if you want to hear two people talk about and complain about stuff that <laughs> a they lot of love and also hate. And drink. And drink. And the show is Same. called? Oh. <laughs> but, but first, let's, let's talk nerdy. nerdy. And you can find us on the ESO Network. Bye-bye. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> and we're back. And as mentioned, just before we cut to that little advert for another show, we're going to do some Sparks recommendations. Or, wait for it, Spark recommendations. Oof, oof. Questionable, Copyright. Rob. Trademark. I'll, but I'll allow it. Um, all right, Rob, so I'll let you go first. I'm going to be weird. Let me first say that it, because the album is called Introducing Sparks, it is not their first album. But I, I, I think introducing Sparks is kind of an interesting place to jump off. Um, I also think that you really need to hear Sparks in the 70s to understand Sparks now. Kimono in my house, I love it. Uh, so I recommend that. Um, I also like a woofer in Tweeter's clothing. Um, I also like Big Beat, uh, number one in heaven. If you want to sort of get a feel for what the 80s were like, uh, number one in Heaven is sort of like the end of the 70s, merging into the 80s. Um, Terminal Jive is greatly underrated. Angst in My Pants is fantastic. Later on, you get Balls. Um, that's great, too. Uh, drip, 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 Little Beethoven. Um, so what you're saying, Rob, is everything. No, I think you need to listen to every decade. I think you need to listen to two records of the 70s, two records of the 80s. Maybe two of the nine, you know, and then the early 2000s. I think if you just listen to two a decade, you kind of get you get the broad palette of Sparks. And I was going to take a slightly um, more specific approach and go for kind of specific tracks. And, okay. you know, I, I was thinking... Sorry, I thought you wanted albums. My bad. No, well, I mean, either. We can do it either way. But I was thinking, you know... you really got to hear this town ain't big enough for the both yes it's it's the hit right yeah um i think from number one in heaven to me you don't get better on that album than tryouts for the human race there is a reason it is the opening track that beat is fucking infectious yeah it really is uh moving further on i adore i predict from angst in my past oh yeah i've learned to really like that one too it's so not sparksy, but it's funny. You know, it's got like this macho guitar and drum beat, but the lyrics are so quintessentially sparks. 
Yeah. Cool places. You got to do cool places. Yeah. I think one th- one track that we have not mentioned at all so far this show that to me is an absolute essential is when do I get to sing my way? I was going to get to that. Yeah, I, I think that one's great too. I also think um, I love tips for teens. I just think that that's that's so damn catchy. That's also an earworm. Um, I think we talked about. Did we talk about EFP off? Said it better. We mentioned it. Um, yeah, when do I sing my way is great, and then. I, I think when do I get to sing my way? You know that was their that was their comeback record. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. You know, and that beat, I mean, and that just everything about it is just perfection. And you watch the video, and they look great, they sound great. It's a band that has found its oomph and excitement again. And the way that when you listen to how that song starts, and then it goes thump thump thump, and then the bottom sort of drops out. It's not. Uh, dubstep but it's very sort of like high energy high energy and then it kind of dumps into this sort of little bit of melancholy yeah and then it picks back up again which you very much hear we talked about the two two dudes with synthesizers thing that's sort of a thing in in all these two people with synthesizer things that sort of structure but i think that song also was structurally hugely provocative for music later um and i also think lyrically it's very smart too one other one I know you and I both love, and it's a total earworm and highly recommend, is My Baby's Taking Me Home. Man, it, um, I sing this a lot to my my wife, and we adapt it into other forms. You know, like mm-hmm. My Baby's Making Me Scones or something, you know. Um, yeah. My, and, my partner gets My Baby's Making Me Bread. Oh, well, we've done that. she makes bread. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we've done um, that too. But yeah, I, I, I think Russell sings My Baby's Taking Me Home something like 60 times. And that, that was, song. I remember on the tour hearing that and just stopping and going, my God, this is fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, and that, there was an interview with, uh, with Bron where someone said, you know, what's the real meaning behind my baby's taking me home? What's it actually about? And he just responded with, it's about my baby taking me home. <laughs> Which is just Russell's, uh, sorry, Ron's dry humor. It's also, you know, very much the song about hope and um, enjoying the moment. They're very much a band that talks about enjoying the moment, right? And sort of, there's, there are the simple things. They don't write songs about like, you know, rolling fatties and having caviar. They write these songs about having these moments that are sublime Mm -hmm. and sort of enjoying the moment. That's very much a thing in their music that I love too. There's that, but then there is also that sense of melancholy we've talked about a few times. I mean, yeah. Edith Piaf said it better than me. It's all about, you know, regretting the way you've lived your life. Yeah. You do get that sense of regret, though, too, in When Do I Get to Sing My Way, too, it, which yes, is kind do. of interesting. That's kind of an interesting motif that I had not thought about. That is also the first time we've used the word motif on the podcast. So we've clearly graduated to the seventh grade. We have. I want to call out a couple of deep cuts that I think deserve a bit more attention as well. Okay. Uh, Firstly, Rosebud from music that you can dance to. Oh, yeah. It's so good. It's very 80s. It doesn't really sound that much like Sparks, actually, but it's a phenomenal track. Um, Good Morning off of Exotic Creatures of the Deep is fantastic hilarious it's sung from the standpoint of a guy who wakes up next to a beautiful woman who's way out of his league and is trying to understand what's going on um it's it's 
absolutely got that uh, sense of humor. And then, last but not least, uh, going back to Lil Beethoven, I wanted to give a shout out specifically to um, I Married Myself. Oh, yeah. Which is also kind of melancholic. Yeah, I, I'm going to give a shout out to Madonna and also Popularity. Okay. Uh, Madonna, they loved so much they recorded it, I think, in three or four languages. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which only they would do. But also, you know, I love every song on Angst in My Pants, too, um, mainly because it's a place. But, like, you get a lot of cool stuff in there. But I love Sherlock Holmes, too. Yeah. Which is great. Um, also, Eaten by the Monster of Love, I think, is a song that had a profound influence on Weird Al. And knowing he's a fan... I mean, yeah. yes, you are almost certainly right. Yeah. And then last but not least, a couple of newer songs uh, off of A Steady Drip, 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 which is their most recent past album. Uh, I want to give a shout out to All That, which is just such oh, yeah. a beautiful, anthemic song. And yet yeah, still has that quintessential sense of humor. And then, of course, off of the new album, the title track. We've mentioned it a few times, but the girl is crying in her latte. What a beat. What a sound. What an earworm. It's fantastic. And that, I actually think, is a great place to start with Sparks. And it's, again, it does the same thing that uh, Johnny Delusional does. It's not too long mm -hmm. and it's not too short. Yeah. I mean, I think from a purely uh, compositional point of view, they have mastered the pop song. Um, I actually listened to that in a coffee shop this week and had a latte and I giggled inside. Oh, you didn't cry into your latte. No, I was looking across to see if anyone else was crying in their latte though. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't do it on purpose. I was listening to, I, I, I have a sparks mix that I listen to when I'm working and I, and I realized, Oh my God, I'm playing this in a coffee shop. So then I kind of did the look around. And, <laughs> um, and I like Veronica Lake too. I mean, other than the fact that I'm a huge fan of Veronica Lake and I married a witch and things like that. Um, I just, I just love the fact that it's, it's a song that's very empowering for women, mm -hmm. um, coming from two white guys with keyboards. Um, and it, it sounds absolutely nothing like the single before it, which is also pretty great. Yeah. And then of course, last but not least, I've said it a few times, the entire FFS album, which to me yeah. is just a stunning piece of music from start to end. You've already said Rob, Johnny Delusional is a perfect pop song. I think collaborations don't work, which is obviously the typical Sparks irony mm -hmm. on a collaboration, yeah. is so incredibly good as well. We haven't even really talked about their sense of irony either. Their sense of irony is equally as great as their sense of melancholy too. And oh, euphoria. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right. I think we're at time for this week. We might have to do a part two at some point. What do well, you think, this is Rob? the first of a 26 part of a, of a mini series of, uh, of Sparks. Actually, it, uh, it's, it's 28 because we've done the intro. Now yeah. we're going to do album by album. And then yes. at the end, we'll cap it off with a roundup episode. So stay tuned for us for the next half year as Alan and Stephanie take some time off. And Rob and I present to you our series on Sparks. Yes. Sparks. No, just joking. Alan and Stephanie will be back with us next week for a different topic. Oh, 
Stephanie will be back with us next week. I think Alan's actually still going to be away. I believe Alan is so traumatized that we're talking about Sparks that he has to stay home. Mm. Again, okay. again, you know, daddy's away. We have the babysitter's <laughs> back. So <laughs> this is the Home Alone edition of uh, Modern Musicology. It is. It is. All right, Rob. So where can people find you? Um, I will say that before you find me anywhere, just take some time and listen to Sparks. Just pick a random album and listen. That's the first thing. Um, you can find me on Wednesdays on KDHX hosting Juxtaposition from 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time. Uh, you can check it out, listen to it. Um, it is what um, my sister refers to as Fright Rock. Um, so listen to, to that. All the shows are archived on our archive stream, so you can listen to them for two weeks. Uh, I also host a show called Antics on Louder Than War Radio, and uh, that is Mondays from 6 to 8 p.m. GMT, and that is also streaming. They have a mixed cloud page with all of the archived editions of, of Antics. Uh, also, the Neat Coffee podcast, Weekend Justice, and I'm um, doing some writing for Inc. 19 and a couple other websites as well. Awesome. And since Rob gave you a last Sparks thought, before I tell you where else you can find me, I will do the same. The documentary, The Sparks Brothers, is truly a great documentary, and it is a great jumping on point to get a good overview of the band, their music, and their history. Yeah. Highly recommend. You'll hear from so many people that you recognize from music and film and TV. It's, it's worth two hours of your time. And the great thing about that movie is there are people I know that have no idea who Sparks were or anything about them, but they just, as a documentary, loved it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are in a golden a golden age of documentaries right now about music. So yeah. see that even if you never listen to Sparks, you exactly. will after you after you see it. And outside of this show, you can find me on Watchers in the Fourth Dimension, a podcast where we are watching our way through Doctor Who from 1963 until now. We are on a little bit of a hiatus right now, but I can confirm that we are starting to work on new material. So we will be back sooner than, rather than later. Uh, so you can find us uh, on all of the usual places where you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, et cetera, et cetera, including where you're listening to this show. And you can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Watchers4D. We will be back next time round with another show with Stephanie back. Uh, but until then, thank you, dear listener, once again for listening. We appreciate you and have a great week. See you in a week's time. Ciao. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. <laughs>